Section 6 of the $30,000 Bequest and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The $30,000 Bequest and Other Stories by Mark Twain. Section 6. The Curious Book, Part 1. The Curious Book, Complete. The foregoing review of the great work of G. Ragsdale McClintock is liberally illuminated with sample extracts, but these cannot appease the appetite. Only the complete book, unabridged, can do that. Therefore it is here printed. M.T. The Enemy Conquered, or Love Triumphant Sweet girl, thy smiles are full of charms, thy voice is sweeter still. It fills the breast with fond alarms, echoed by every rill. I begin this little work with a eulogy upon woman, who has ever been distinguished for her perseverance, her constancy, and her devoted attention to those upon whom she has been pleased to place her affections. Many have been the themes upon which writers and public speakers have dwelt with intense and increasing interest. Among these delightful themes stands that of woman, the balm to all our sighs and disappointments, and the most preeminent of all other topics. Here the poet and orator have stood and gazed with wonder and with admiration. They have dwelt upon her innocence, the ornament of all her virtues. First viewing her external charms, such as set forth in her form and benevolent countenance, and then passing to the deep hidden springs of loveliness and disinterested devotion. In every clime and in every age she has been the pride of her nation. Her watchfulness is untiring. She who guarded the sepulchre was the first to approach it, and the last to depart from its awful yet sublime scene. Even here in this highly favored land, we look to her for the security of our institutions and for our future greatness as a nation. But, strange as it may appear, woman's charms and virtues are but slightly appreciated by thousands. Those who should raise the standard of female worth and paint her value with her virtues in living colors upon the banners that are fanned by the zephyrs of heaven and hand them down to posterity as emblematical of a rich inheritance do not properly estimate them. Man is not sensible at all times of the nature and the emotions which bear that name. He does not understand he will not comprehend. His intelligence has not expanded to that degree of glory which drinks in the vast revolution of humanity, its end, its mighty destination, and the causes which operated, and are still operating, to produce a more elevated station, and the objects which energize and enliven its consummation. This he is a stranger to. He is not aware that woman is the recipient of celestial love, and that man is dependent upon her to perfect his character, that without her, philosophy and truly speaking, the brightest of his intelligence, is but the coldness of a winter moon, whose beams can produce no fruit, whose solar light is not its own, but borrowed from the great dispenser of effulgent beauty. We have no disposition in the world to flatter the fair sex. We would raise them above those dastardly principles which only exist in little souls, contracted hearts, and a distracted brain. Often does she unfold herself in all her fascinating loveliness, presenting the most captivating charms. Yet we find man frequently treats such purity of purpose with indifference. 
Why does he do it? Why does he baffle that which is inevitably the source of his better days? Is he so much of a stranger to those excellent qualities as not to appreciate woman, as not to have respect to her dignity? Since her art and beauty first captivated man, she has been his delight and his comfort. She has shared alike in his misfortunes and in his prosperity. Whenever the billows of adversity and the tumultuous waves of trouble beat high, her smiles subdue their fury. Should the tear of sorrow and the mournful sigh of grief interrupt the peace of his mind, her voice removes them all, and she bends from her circle to encourage him onward. When darkness would obscure his mind, and a thick cloud of gloom would bewilder his operations, her intelligent eye darts a ray of streaming light into his heart. Mighty and charming is that disinterested devotion which she is ever ready to exercise toward man, not waiting till the last moment of his danger, but seeks to relieve him in his early afflictions. It gushes forth from the expansive fullness of a tender and devoted heart, where the noblest, the purest, and the most elevated and refined feelings have matured and developed in those many kind offices which invariably make her character. In the room of sorrow and sickness, this unequaled characteristic may always be seen in the performance of the most charitable acts. Nothing that she can do to promote the happiness of him who she claims to be her protector will be omitted. All is invigorated by the animating sunbeams which awaken the heart to songs of gaiety. Leaving this point, to notice another prominent consideration, which is generally one of great moment and of vital importance. Invariably, she is firm and steady in all her pursuits and aims. There is required a combination of forces and extreme opposition to drive her from her position. She takes her stand, not to be moved by the sound of Apollo's lyre or the curved bow of pleasure. Firm and true to what she undertakes, and that which she requires by her own aggrandizement, and regards as being within the strict rules of propriety, she will remain stable and unflinching to the last. A more genuine principle is not to be found in the most determined, resolute heart of man. For this she deserves to be held in the highest commendation, for this she deserves the purest of all other blessings, and for this she deserves the most laudable reward of all others. It is a noble characteristic, and is worthy of imitation of any age. And when we look at it in one particular aspect, it is still magnified and grows brighter and brighter the more we reflect upon its eternal duration. What will she not do when her word as well as her affections and love are pledged to her lover? Everything that is dear to her on earth, all the hospitalities of kind and loving parents, all the sincerity and loveliness of sisters, and the benevolent devotion of brothers who have surrounded her with every comfort, she will forsake them all, quit the harmony and sweet sound of the lute and the harp, and throw herself upon the affections of some devoted admirer, in whom she fondly hopes to find more than she has left behind, which is not often realized by many. Truth and virtue all combined. How deserving our admiration and love! Ah, cruel would it be in man, after she has thus manifested such an unshaken confidence in him, and said by her determination to abandon all the endearments and blandishments of home, to act a villainous part, and prove a traitor in the revolution of his mission, 
and then turn Hector over the innocent victim whom he swore to protect, in the presence of heaven recorded by the pen of an angel. Striking as this train may unfold itself in her character, and as pre-eminent as it may stand among the fair display of her other qualities, yet there is another which struggles into existence, and adds an additional luster to what she already possesses. I mean that disposition in woman which enables her, in sorrow, in grief, and in distress, to bear all with enduring patience. This she has done, and can and will do, amid the din of war and the clash of arms, scenes and occurrences which, to every appearance, are calculated to rend the heart with the profoundest emotions of trouble, do not fetter that exalted principle imbued in her very nature. It is true, her tender and feeling heart may often be moved, as she is thus constituted, but she is not conquered, she has not given up to the harlequin of disappointments, her energies have not become clouded in the last movement of misfortune, but she is continually invigorated by the archetype of her affections. She may bury her face in her hands, and let the tear of anguish roll. She may promenade the delightful walks of some garden, decorated with all the flowers of nature, or she may steal out along some gently rippling stream, and there, as the silver waters uninterruptedly move forward, shed her silent tears. They mingle with the waves, and take a last farewell of their agitated home, to seek a peaceful dwelling among the rolling floods. Yet there is a voice rushing from her breast, that proclaims victory along the whole line and battlement of her affections. That voice is the voice of patience and resignation. That voice is one that bears everything calmly and dispassionately, amid the most distressing scenes, when the fates are arrayed against her peace, and apparently plotting for her destruction, still she is resigned. Woman's affections are deep, consequently her troubles may be made to sink deep. Although you may not be able to mark the traces of her grief, and the furrowings of her anguish upon her winning countenance, yet be assured they are nevertheless preying upon her inward person, sapping the very foundation of that heart which alone was made for the weal, and not the woe of man. The deep recesses of the soul are fields for their operation, but they are not destined simply to take the regions of the heart for their dominion, they are not satisfied merely with interrupting her better feelings, but after a while you may see the blooming cheek beginning to droop and fade, her intelligent eye no longer sparkles with the starry light of heaven, her vibrating pulse long since changed its regular motion, and her palpitating bosom beats once more for the midday of her glory. Anxiety and care ultimately throw her into the arms of the haggard and grim monster death, but oh, how patient under every pining influence! Let us view the matter in bolder colors. See her when the dearest object of her affections recklessly seeks every bacchanalian pleasure, contents himself with the last rubbish of creation. With what solicitude she awaits his return! Sleep fails to perform its office. She weeps while the nocturnal shades of the night triumph in the stillness. Bending over some favorite book, whilst the author throws before her mind the most beautiful imagery, she startles at every sound. The midnight silence is broken by the solemn announcement of the return of another morning. He is still absent. She listens for that voice which has so often been greeted by the melodies of her own. But alas, 
Stern silence is all that she receives for her vigilance. Mark her unwearied watchfulness as the night passes away. At last, brutalized by the accursed thing, he staggers along with rage, and, shivering with cold, he makes his appearance. Not a murmur is heard from her lips. On the contrary, she meets him with a smile. She caresses him with tender arms, with all the gentleness and softness of her sex. Here then is seen her disposition beautifully arrayed. Woman, thou art more to be admired than the spicy gales of Arabia, and more sought for than the gold of Galconda. We believe that woman should associate freely with man, and we believe that it is for the preservation of her rights. She should become acquainted with the metaphysical designs of those who condescended to sing the siren song of flattery. This, we think, should be according to the unwritten law of decorum, which is stamped upon every innocent heart. The precepts of prudery are often steeped in the guilt of contamination, which blasts the expectations of better moments. Truth and beautiful dreams, loveliness and delicacy of character, with cherished affections of the ideal woman, gentle hopes and aspirations, are enough to uphold her in the storms of darkness, without the transferred colorings of a stained sufferer. How often have we seen it in our public prints, that woman occupies a false station in the world, and some have gone so far as to say it was an unnatural one. So long as she has been regarded a weak creature by the rabble and illiterate, they have looked upon her as an insufficient actress on the great stage of human life, a mere puppet to fill up the drama of human existence, a thoughtless, inactive being, that she has too often come to the same conclusion herself, and has sometimes forgotten her high destination in the meridian of her glory. We have but little sympathy or patience for those who treat her as a mere rosy Melindy, who are always fishing for pretty compliments, who are satisfied by the gossamer of romance, and who can be allured by the verbosity of high-flown words, rich in language, but poor and barren in sentiment. Beset, as she has been, by the intellectual vulgar, the selfish, the designing, the cunning, the hidden, and the artful, no wonder she has sometimes folded her wings in despair, and forgotten her heavenly mission in the delirium of imagination. No wonder she searches out some wild desert to find a peaceful home. But this cannot always continue. A new era is moving gently onward, old things are rapidly passing away, old superstitions, old prejudices, and old notions are now bidding farewell to their old associates and companions, and giving way to one whose wings are plumed with the light of heaven, and tinged by the dews of the morning. There is a remnant of blessedness that clings to her, in spite of all evil influence. There is enough of the divine master left to accomplish the noblest work ever achieved under the canopy of the vaulted skies, and that time is fast approaching, when the picture of the true woman will shine from its frame of glory, to captivate, to win back, to restore, and to call into being once more the object of her mission. Star of the brave, thy glory shed, o'er all the earth thy army led, bold meteor of immortal birth, why come from heaven to dwell on earth? Mighty and glorious are the days of youth, happy the moments of the lover, mingled with smiles and tears of his devoted, 
and long to be remembered are the achievements which he gains with a palpitating heart and a trembling hand. A bright and lovely dawn, the harbinger of a fair and prosperous day, had arisen over the beautiful little village of Cumming, which is surrounded by the most romantic scenery in the Cherokee country. Brightening clouds seemed to rise from the mist of the fair Chattahoochee, to spread their beauty over the thick forest, to guide the hero whose bosom beats with aspirations to conquer the enemy that would tarnish his name, and to win back the admiration of his long-tried friend. He endeavored to make his way through Sani's mountain, where many meet to catch the gales that are continually blowing for the refreshment of the stranger and the traveler. Surrounded as he was by hills on every side, naked rocks dared the efforts of his energies. Soon the sky became overcast, the sun buried itself in the clouds, and the fair day gave place to gloomy twilight, which lay heavily on the Indian plains. He remembered an old Indian castle that once stood at the foot of the mountain. He thought if he could make his way to this, he would rest contented for a short time. The mountain air breathed fragrance, a rosy tinge rested on the glassy waters that murmured at its base. His resolution soon brought him to the remains of the red man's hut. He surveyed with wonder and astonishment the decayed building, which time had buried in the dust, and thought to himself his happiness was not yet complete. Beside the shore of the brook sat a young man, about eighteen or twenty, who seemed to be reading some favorite book and who had a remarkably noble countenance, eyes which betrayed more than the common mind. This, of course, made the youth a welcome guest, and gained him friends in whatever condition of life he might be placed. The traveller observed that he was a well-built figure, which showed strength and grace in every movement. He accordingly addressed him in quite a gentlemanly manner, and inquired of him the way to the village. After he had received the desired information, and was about taking his leave, the youth said, Are you not Major Alfonso, the great musician, the champion of a noble cause, the modern Achilles, who gained so many victories in the Florida War? I bear that name, said the Major, and those titles, trusting at the same time that the ministers of grace will carry me triumphantly through all my laudable undertakings, and if, continued the Major, you, sir, are the patronizer of noble deeds, I should like to make you my confidant, and learn your address. The youth looked somewhat amazed, bowed low, mused for a moment, and began. My name is Roswell, I have been recently admitted to the bar, and can only give a faint outline of my future success in that honorable profession. But I trust, sir, like the eagle, I shall look down from lofty rocks upon the dwellings of man, and shall ever be ready to give you any assistance in my official capacity, and whatever this muscular arm of mine can do, whenever it shall be called from its buried greatness. The major grasped him by the hand and exclaimed, Oh, thou exalted spirit of inspiration, thou flame of burning prosperity, may the heaven-directed blaze be the glare of thy soul, and battle down every rampart that seems to impede your progress. The road which led to the town presented many attractions. Alfonso had bid farewell to the youth of deep feeling, and was now wending his way to the dreaming spot of his fondness. The south winds whistled through the woods, as the waters dashed against the banks, 
as rapid fire in the pent furnace roars. This brought him to remember while alone that he quietly left behind the hospitality of a father's house, and gladly entered the world with higher hopes than are often realized. But as he journeyed onward, he was mindful of the advice of his father, who had often looked sadly on the ground when tears of cruelly deceived hope moistened his eye. Alfonso had been somewhat of a dutiful son, yet fond of the amusements of life, had been in distant lands, had enjoyed the pleasure of the world, and had frequently returned to the scenes of his boyhood, almost destitute of many of the comforts of life. In this condition he would frequently say to his father, Have I offended you that you look upon me as a stranger, and frown upon me with stinging looks? Will you not favor me with the sound of your voice? If I have trampled upon your veneration, or have spread a humid veil of darkness around your expectations, send me back into the world where no heart beats for me, where the foot of man has never yet trod. But give me at least one kind word. Allow me to come into the presence sometimes of thy winter-worn locks. Forbid it, heaven, that I should be angry with thee, answered the father. My son, and yet I send thee back to the children of the world, to the cold charity of the combat, and to a land of victory. I read another destiny in thy countenance. I learn thy inclinations from the flame that has already kindled in my soul a stranger sensation. It will seek thee, my dear Alfonso, it will find thee. Thou canst not escape that lighted torch, which shall blot out from the remembrance of men a long train of prophecies which they have foretold against thee. I once thought not so. Once I was blind, but now the path of life is plain before me, and my sight is clear. Yet, Alfonso, return to thy worldly occupation. Take again in thy hand that cord of sweet sounds. Struggle with the civilized world and with your own heart. Fly swiftly to the enchanted ground. Let the night owl send forth its screams from the stubborn oak. Let the sea sport upon the beach, and the stars sing together. But learn of these, Alfonso, thy doom and thy hiding place. Our most innocent as well as our most lawful desires must often be denied us, that we may learn to sacrifice them to a higher will. Remembering such admonitions with gratitude, Alfonso was immediately urged by the recollection of his father's family to keep moving. His steps became quicker and quicker. He hastened through the piney woods, dark as the forest was, and with joy he very soon reached the little village or repose, in whose bosom rested the boldest chivalry. His close attention to every important object, his modest questions about whatever was new to him, his reverence for wise old age, and his ardent desire to learn many of the fine arts, soon brought him into respectable notice. One mild winter day, as he walked along the streets toward the academy, which stood upon a small eminence surrounded by native growth, some venerable in its appearance, others young and prosperous, all seemed inviting, and seemed to be the very place for learning as well as for genius to spend its research beneath its spreading shades. He entered its classic walls in the usual mode of southern manners. The principal of the institution begged him to be seated, and listened to the recitations that were going on. He accordingly obeyed the request, and seemed to be much pleased. 
after the school was dismissed and the young hearts regained their freedom with the songs of the evening laughing at the anticipated pleasures of a happy home while others tittered at the actions of the past day he addressed the teacher in a tone that indicated a resolution with an undaunted mind he said he had determined to become a student if he could meet with his approbation sir said he i have spent much time in the world i have travelled among the uncivilized inhabitants of america i have met with friends and combated with foes but none of these gratify my ambition or decide what is to be my destiny i see the learned would have an influence with the voice of the people themselves the despoilers of the remotest kingdoms of the earth refer their differences to this class of persons this the illiterate and inexperienced little dream of and now if you will receive me as i am with these deficiencies with all my misguided opinions i will give you my honor sir that i will never disgrace the institution or those who have placed you in this honorable station the instructor who had met with many disappointments knew how to feel for a stranger who had been thus turned upon the charities of an unfeeling community he looked at him earnestly and said be of good cheer look forward sir to the high destination you may attain remember the more elevated the mark at which you aim the more sure the more glorious the more magnificent the prize from wonder to wonder his encouragement led the impatient listener a stranger nature bloomed before him giant streams promised him success gardens of hidden treasures opened to his view all this so vividly described seemed to gain a new witchery from his glowing fancy in eighteen forty two he entered the class and made rapid progress in the english and latin departments indeed he continued advancing with such rapidity that he was like to become the first in his class and made such unexpected progress and was so studious that he had almost forgotten the pictured saint of his affections the fresh wreaths of the pine and cypress had waited anxiously to drop once more the dews of heavens upon the heads of those who had often poured forth the tender emotions of their souls under its boughs he was aware of the pleasure that he had seen there so one evening as he was returning from his reading he concluded he would pay a visit to this enchanting spot little did he think of witnessing a shadow of his former happiness though no doubt he wished it might be so he continued sauntering by the roadside meditating on the past the nearer he approached the spot the more anxious he became at the moment a tall female figure flitted across his path with a bunch of roses in her hand her countenance showed uncommon vivacity with a resolute spirit her ivory teeth already appeared as she smiled beautifully promenading while her ringlets of hair dangled unconsciously around her snowy neck nothing was wanting to complete her beauty the tinge of the rose was in full bloom upon her cheek the charms of sensibility and tenderness were always her associates in ambulinia's bosom dwelt a noble soul one that never faded one that never was conquered her heart yielded to no feeling but the love of alfonso on whom she gazed with intense delight and to whom she felt herself more closely bound because he sought the hand of no other alfonso was roused from his apparent reverie his books no longer were his inseparable companions 
His thoughts arrayed themselves to encourage him in the field of victory. He endeavored to speak to his supposed Ambulinia, but his speech appeared not in words. No, his effort was a stream of fire that kindled his soul into a flame of admiration and carried his senses away captive. Ambulinia had disappeared to make him more mindful of his duty. As she walked speedily away through the piney woods, she calmly echoed, Oh, Alfonso, thou wilt now look from thy sunbeams. Thou shalt now walk a new path. Perhaps thy way leads through darkness, but fear not, the stars foretell happiness. Not many days afterward, as surrounded by fragrant flowers, she sat one evening at twilight to enjoy the cool breeze that whispered notes of melody along the distant groves, the little birds perched on every side, as if to watch the movements of their new visitor. The bells were tolling when Alfonso silently stole along by the wild wood flowers, holding in his hand his favorite instrument of music, his eye continually searching for Ambulinia, who hardly seemed to perceive him as she played carelessly with the songsters that hopped from branch to branch. Nothing could be more striking than the difference between the two. Nature seemed to have given the more tender soul to Alfonso, and the stronger and more courageous to Ambulinia. A deep feeling spoke from the eyes of Alfonso, such a feeling as can only be expressed by those who are blessed as admirers, and by those who are able to return the same with sincerity of heart. He was a few years older than Ambulinia. She had turned a little into her seventeenth. He had almost grown up in the Cherokee country, with the same equal proportions as one of the natives. But little intimacy had existed between them until the year forty-one, because the youth felt that the character of such a lovely girl was too exalted to inspire any other feeling than that of quiet reverence. But as lovers will not always be insulted at all times and under all circumstances by the frowns and cold looks of crabbed old age, which should continually reflect dignity upon those around, and treat unfortunate as well as the fortunate with a graceful mien, he continued to use diligence and perseverance. All this lighted a spark in his heart that changed his whole character, and like the unyielding deity that follows the storm to check its rage in the forest, he resolves for the first time to shake off his embarrassment and return where he had before only worshipped. It could not escape Ambulinia's penetrating eye that he sought an interview with her, which she as anxiously avoided, and assumed a more distant calmness than before, seemingly to destroy all hope. After many efforts and struggles with his own person, with timid steps the major approached the damsel, with the same caution as he would have done in a field of battle. "'Lady Ambulinia,' said he, trembling, "'I have long desired a moment like this.' I dare not let it escape. I fear the consequences, yet I hope your indulgence will at least hear my petition. Can you not anticipate what I would say, and what I am about to express? Will not you, like Minerva, who sprung from the brain of Jupiter, release me from thy winding chains, or cure me? Say no more, Alfonso, answered Ambulinia, with a serious look, raising her hand as if she intended to swear eternal hatred against the whole world. Another lady in my place would have perhaps answered your question in bitter coldness. I know not the little arts of my sex. I care but little for the vanity of those who would chide me, 
and am unwilling as well as shamed to be guilty of anything that would lead you to think all is not gold that glitters. So be not rash in your resolution. It is better to repent now than to do it in a more solemn hour. Yes, I know what you would say. I know you have a costly gift for me, the noblest that man can make, your heart. You should not offer it to one so unworthy. Heaven, you know, has allowed my father's house to be made a house of solitude, a home of silent obedience, which my parents say is more to be admired than big names and high-sounding titles. Notwithstanding all this, let me speak the emotions of an honest heart. Allow me to say in the fullness of my hopes that I anticipate better days. The bird may stretch its wings toward the sun, which it can never reach, and flowers of the field appear to ascend in the same direction, because they cannot do otherwise. But man confides his complaints to the saints in whom he believes, for in their abodes of light they know no more sorrow. From your confession and indicative looks, I must be that person. If so, deceive not yourself. Alfonso replied, Pardon me, my dear madame, for my frankness. I have loved you from my earliest days. Everything grand and beautiful hath borne the image of Ambulinia. While precipices on every hand surrounded me, your guardian angel stood and beckoned me away from the deep abyss. In every trial, in every misfortune, I have met with your helping hand. Yet I never dreamed or dared to cherish thy love till a voice impaired with age encouraged the cause, and declared they who acquired thy favor should win a victory. I saw how Leos worshipped thee. I felt my own unworthiness. I began to know jealousy, a strong guest indeed in my bosom, yet I could see if I gained your admiration, Leos was to be my rival. I was aware that he had the influence of your parents and the wealth of a deceased relative, which is too often mistaken for permanent and regular tranquillity. Yet I have determined by your permission to beg an interest in your prayers, to ask you to animate my dropping spirits by your smiles and your winning looks. For if you but speak, I shall conquer. My enemies shall stagger like Olympus shakes. And though earth and sea may tremble, and the charioteer of the sun may forget his dashing steed, yet I am assured that it is only to arm me with divine weapons which will enable me to complete my long-tried intention. Return to yourself, Alfonso, said Ambulinia pleasantly. A dream of vision has disturbed your intellect. You are above the atmosphere, dwelling in the celestial regions. Nothing is there that urges or hinders, nothing that brings discord into our present litigation. I entreat you to condescend a little, and be a man, and forget it all. When Homer describes the battle of the gods and noblemen fighting with giants and dragons, they represent under this image our struggles with the delusions of our passions. You have exalted me, an unhappy girl, to the skies. You have called me a saint, and portrayed in your imagination an angel in human form. Let her remain such to you, let her continue to be as you have supposed, and assured that she will consider a share in your esteem as her highest treasure. Think not that I would allure you from the path in which your conscience leads you, for you know I respect the conscience of others, as I would die for my own. Alfonso, if I am worthy of thy love, let such conversation never again pass between us. 
go, seek a nobler theme. We will seek it in the stream of time as the sun set in the Tigris. As she spake these words, she grasped the hand of Alfonso, saying at the same time, Peace and prosperity attend you, my hero, be up and doing. Closing her remarks with this expression, she walked slowly away, leaving Alfonso astonished and amazed. He ventured not to follow or detain her. Here he stood alone, gazing at the stars, confounded as he was, here he stood. The rippling stream rolled on at his feet. Twilight had already begun to draw her sable mantle over the earth, and now and then the fiery smoke would ascend from the little town which lay spread out before him. The citizens seemed to be full of life and good humor, but poor Alfonso saw not a brilliant scene. No, his future life stood before him, stripped of the hopes that once adorned all his sanguine desires. Alas, said he, am I now grief's disappointed son at last? Ambulinia's image rose before his fancy. A mixture of ambition and greatness of soul moved upon his young heart, and encouraged him to bear all his crosses with the patience of a Job, notwithstanding he had to encounter with so many obstacles. He still endeavored to prosecute his studies, and reasonably progressed in his education. Still he was not content. There was something yet to be done before his happiness was complete. He would visit his friends and acquaintances. They would invite him to social parties, insisting that he should partake of the amusements that were going on. This he enjoyed tolerably well. The ladies and gentlemen were generally well pleased with the major. As he delighted all with his violin, which seemed to have a thousand chords, more symphonious than the muses of Apollo, and more enchanting than the ghost of the hills. He passed some days in the country. During that time, Leos had made many calls upon Ambulinia, who was generally received with a great deal of courtesy by the family. They thought him to be a young man worthy of attention, though he had but little in his soul to attract the attention, or even win the affections of her whose graceful manners had almost made him a slave to every bewitching look that fell from her eyes. Leos made several attempts to tell her of his fair prospects, how much he loved her, and how much it would add to his bliss if he could but think she would be willing to share these blessings with him. But, choked by his undertaking, he made himself more like an inactive drone than he did like one who bowed at beauty's shrine. Alfonso again wends his way to the stately walls and new-built village. He now determines to see the end of the prophecy which had been foretold to him. The clouds burst from his sight. He believes if he can but see his Ambulinia, he can open to her view the bloody altars which have been misrepresented to stigmatize his name. He knows that her breast is transfixed with the sword of reason, and ready at all times to detect the hidden villainy of her enemies. He resolves to see her in her own home with the consoling theme, I can but perish if I go. Let the consequences be what they may, said he. If I die, it shall be contending and struggling for my own rights. Night had almost overtaken him when he arrived in town. Colonel Elder, a noble-hearted, high-minded, and independent man, met him at his door as usual, and seized him by the hand. Well, Alfonso, said the colonel, how does the world use you in your efforts? I have no objection to the world, said Alfonso, 
but the people are rather singular in some of their opinions. Aye, well, said the colonel, you must remember that creation is made up of many mysteries. Just take things by the right handle. Be always sure you know which is the smooth side before you attempt your polish. Be reconciled to your fate, be that what it may, and never find fault with your condition, unless your complaining will benefit it. Perseverance is a principle that should be commendable in those who have judgment to govern it. I should never had been so successful in my hunting excursions had I waited till the deer, by some magic dream, had been drawn to the muzzle of the gun before I made an attempt to fire at the game that dared my boldness in the wild forest. The great mystery in hunting seems to be a good marksman, a resolute mind, a fixed determination, and my world for it, you will never return home without sounding your horn with the breath of a new victory. And so with every other undertaking. Be confident that your ammunition is of the right kind. Always pull your trigger with a steady hand, and so soon as you perceive a calm, touch her off, and the spoils are yours. This filled him with redoubled vigor, and he set out with a stronger anxiety than ever to the home of Ambulinia. A few short steps soon brought him to the door, half out of breath. He rapped gently. Ambulinia, who sat in the parlor alone, suspecting Alfonso was near, ventured to the door, opened it, and beheld the hero, who stood in an humble attitude, bowed gracefully, and as they caught each other's looks, the light of peace beamed from the eyes of Ambulinia. Alfonso caught the expression. A halloo of smothered shouts ran through every vein, and for the first time he dared to impress a kiss upon her cheek. The scene was overwhelming. Had the temptation been less animating, he would not have ventured to have acted so contrary to the desired wish of his Ambulinia. But who could have withstood the irresistible temptation? What society condemns the practice but a cold, heartless, uncivilized people that know nothing of the warm attachments of refined society? Here the dead was raised to his long-cherished hopes, and the lost was found. Here all doubt and danger were buried in the vortex of oblivion. Sectional differences no longer disunited their opinions. Like the freed bird from the cage, sportive claps its rustling wings, wheels about to heaven in a joyful strain, and raises its notes to the upper sky. Ambulinia insisted upon Alfonso to be seated, and give her a history of his unnecessary absence. Assuring him the family had retired, consequently they would ever remain ignorant of his visit. Advancing toward him, she gave a bright display of her rosy neck, and from her head the ambrosial locks breathed divine fragrance. Her robe hung waving to his view, while she stood like a goddess confessed before him. "'It does seem to me, my dear sir,' said Ambulinia, "'that you have been gone an age. Oh, the restless hours I have spent since I last saw you in yon beautiful grove!' There is where I trifled with your feelings for the express purpose of trying your attachment for me. I now find you are devoted, but, ah, I trust you live not unguarded by the powers of heaven. Though oft did I refuse to join my hand with thine, and as oft did I cruelly mock thy entreaties with borrowed shapes, yes, I feared to answer thee by terms, in words sincere and undissembled. Oh, could I pursue, and you have leisure to hear the annals of my woes, 
the evening star would shut heaven's gates upon the impending day before my tale would be finished, and this night would find me soliciting your forgiveness. Dismiss thy fears and thy doubts, replied Alfonso. Look, oh, look, that angelic look of thine. Bathe not thy visage in tears. Banish those floods that are gathering. Let my confession and my presence bring thee some relief. Then indeed I will be cheerful, said Ambulinia, and I think if we will go to the exhibition this evening, we certainly will see something worthy of our attention. One of the most tragical scenes is to be acted that has ever been witnessed, and one that every jealous-hearted person should learn a lesson from. It cannot fail to have a good effect, as it will be performed by those who are young and vigorous, and learned as well as enticing. You are aware, Major Alfonso, who are to appear on the stage, and what the characters are to represent. I am acquainted with the circumstances, replied Alfonso, and as I am to be one of the musicians upon that interesting occasion, I should be much gratified if you would favor me with your company during the hours of the exercises. What strange notions are in your mind? inquired Ambulinia. Now I know you have something in view, and I desire you to tell me why it is that you are so anxious that I should continue with you while the exercises are going on, though if you think I can add to your happiness and predilections, I have no particular objection to acquiesce in your request. Oh, I think I foresee now what you anticipate. And will you have the goodness to tell me what you think it will be? inquired Alfonso. By all means, answered Ambulinia. A rival, sir, you would fancy in your own mind. But let me say for you, fear not, fear not. I will be one of the last persons to disgrace my sex by thus encouraging every one who may feel disposed to visit me, who may honor me with their graceful bows and their choicest compliments. It is true that young men too often mistake civil politeness for the finer emotions of the heart, which is tantamount to courtship. But, ah, how often they are deceived, when they come to test the weight of sunbeams with those on whose strength hangs the future happiness of an untried life. The people were now rushing to the academy with impatient anxiety. The band of music was closely followed by the students, then the parents and guardians. Nothing interrupted the flow of spirits which ran through every bosom, tinged with the songs of a Virgil and the tide of a Homer. Alfonso and Ambulinia soon repaired to the scene, and fortunately for them both the house was so crowded that they took their seats together in the music department, which was not in view of the auditory. This fortuitous circumstances added more the bliss of the major than a thousand such exhibitions would have done. He forgot that he was man. Music had lost its charms for him. Whenever he attempted to carry his part, the string of the instrument would break, the bow become stubborn, and refused to obey the loud calls of the audience. Here, he said, was the paradise of his home, the long-sought-for opportunity. He felt as though he could send a million supplications to the throne of heaven for such an exalted privilege. Poor Leos, who was somewhere in the crowd, looking as attentively as if he was searching for a needle in the haystack. Here he stood, wondering to himself why Ambulinia was not there. Where can she be? Oh, if she was only here, how I would relish the scene. Alfonso is certainly not in town, but what if he is? I have got the wealth, 
if I have not the dignity, and I'm sure that the squire and his lady have always been particular friends of mine, and I think with this assurance I shall be able to get upon the blind side of the rest of the family, and make the heaven-born Ambulinia the mistress of all I possess. Then again he would drop his head, as if attempting to solve the most difficult problem in Euclid. While he was thus conjecturing in his own mind, a very interesting part of the exhibition was going on, which called the attention of all present. The curtains of the stage waved continually by the repelled forces that were given to them, which caused Leos to behold Ambulinia leaning upon the chair of Alfonso. Her lofty beauty, seen by the glimmering of the chandelier, filled his heart with rapture. He knew not how to contain himself. To go where they were would expose him to ridicule. To continue where he was, with such an object before him, without being allowed an explanation in that trying hour, would be to the great injury of his mental as well as his physical powers. And in the name of high heaven, what must he do? Finally, he resolved to contain himself as well as he conveniently could, until the scene was over, and then he would plant himself at the door to arrest Ambulinia from the hands of the insolent Alfonso, and thus make for himself a more prosperous field of immortality than ever was decreed by omnipotence, or ever pencil drew or artist imagined. Accordingly he made himself sentinel, immediately after the performance of the evening, retained his position apparently in defiance of all the world. He waited, he gazed at every lady, his whole frame trembled. Here he stood until everything like human shape had disappeared from the institution, and he had done nothing. He had failed to accomplish that which he so eagerly sought for. Poor unfortunate creature! He had not the eyes of an Argus, or he might have seen his Juno and Alfonso, assisted by his friend Sigma, make their escape from the window, and, with the rapidity of a racehorse, hurry through the blast of the storm to the residence of her father, without being recognized. He did not tarry long, but assured Ambulinia the endless chain of their existence was more closely connected than ever, since he had seen the virtuous, innocent, imploring, and the constant Amelia murdered by the jealous-hearted Farcillo, the accursed of the land. The following is the tragical scene, which is only introduced to show the subject matter that enabled Alfonso to come to such a determinate resolution that nothing of the kind should ever dispossess him of his true character, should he be so fortunate as to succeed in his present undertaking. Amelia was the wife of Farcillo and a virtuous woman. Gracia, a young lady, was her particular friend and confidant. Farcillo grew jealous of Amelia, murders her, finds out that he was deceived, and stabs himself. Amelia appears alone, talking to herself. A. Hail, ye solitary ruins of antiquity, ye sacred tombs and silent walks! It is your aid I invoke. It is to you, my soul, wrapped in deep meditating, pours forth its prayer. Here I wander upon the stage of mortality, since the world hath turned against me. Those whom I believed to be my friends, alas, are now my enemies, planting thorns in all my paths, poisoning all my pleasures, and turning the past to pain. What a lingering catalogue of sighs and tears lies just before me, crowding my aching bosom with the fleeting dream of humanity, which must shortly terminate. 
and to what purpose will all this bustle of life, these agitations and emotions of the heart have conduced, if it leave behind it nothing of utility, if it leave no traces of improvement? Can it be that I am deceived in my conclusions? No, I see that I have nothing to hope for, but everything for fear, which tends to drive me from the walks of time. Oh, in this dead night, if loud winds arise, to lash the surge and bluster in the skies, may the west its furious rage display, toss me with storms in the watery way. Enter Gracia. G. Oh, Amelia, is it you, the object of grief, the daughter of opulence, of wisdom and philosophy, that thus complaineth? It cannot be you are the child of misfortune, speaking of the monuments of former ages, which were allotted not for the reflection of the distressed, but for the fearless and bold. A. Not the child of poverty, Gracia, or the heir of glory and peace, but of fate. Remember, I have wealth more than wit can number. I have had power more than kings could encompass. Yet the world seems a desert. All nature appears an afflictive spectacle of warring passions. This blind fatality, that capriciously sports with the rules and lives of mortals, tells me that the mountains will never again send forth the water of their springs to my thirst. Oh, that I might be freed and set at liberty from wretchedness! But I fear, I fear this will never be. G. Why, Amelia, this untimely grief? What has caused the sorrows that bespeak better and happier days to those lavish out such heaps of misery? You are aware that your instructive lessons embellish the mind with holy truths by wetting its attention to none but great and noble affections. A. This, of course, is some consolation. I will ever love my own species with feelings of a fond recollection, and while I am studying to advance the universal philanthropy and the spotless name of my own sex, I will try to build my own upon the pleasing belief that I have accelerated the advancement of one who whispers of departed confidence. And I, like some poor peasant fated to reside, remote from friends in a forest wide, oh, see what woman's woes and human wants require, since that great day hath spread the seed of sinful fire. G. Look up, thou poor disconsolate, you speak of quitting earthly enjoyments, unfold thy bosom to a friend, who would be willing to sacrifice every enjoyment for the restoration of the dignity and gentleness of mind which used to grace your walks, and which is so natural to yourself. Not only that, but your paths are strewed with flowers of every hue and of every order. With verdant green the mountains glow, for thee, for thee the lilies grow. Far stretched beneath the tented hills, a fairer flower the valley fills. A. Oh, would to heaven I could give you a short narrative of my former prospects for happiness, since you have acknowledged to be an unchangeable confidant, the richest of all other blessings. Oh, ye names forever glorious, ye celebrated scenes, ye renowned spot of my hymeneal moments, how replete is your chart with sublime reflections! How many profound vows, decorated with immaculate deeds, are written upon the surface of that precious spot of earth where I yielded up my life of celibacy, bade youth with all its beauties a final adieu, took a last farewell of the laurels that had accompanied me up the hill of my juvenile career. 
it was then i began to descend toward the valley of disappointment and sorrow it was then that i cast my little bark upon a mysterious ocean of wedlock with him who then smiled and caressed me but alas now frowns with bitterness and has grown jealous and cold toward me because the ring he gave me is misplaced or lost oh bear me ye flowers of memory softly through the eventful history of past times and ye places that have witnessed the progression of man in the circle of so many societies and of aid my recollection while i endeavoured to trace the vicissitudes of a life devoted in endeavouring to comfort him that i claim as the object of my wishes ah ye mysterious men of all the world how few act just to heaven and to your promise true but he who guides the stars with a watchful eye the deeds of men lay open without disguise oh this alone will avenge the wrongs i bear for all the oppressed are his peculiar care f makes a slight noise a who is there farcillo g then i must gone heaven protect you oh amelia farewell be of good cheer may you stand like olympus's towers against earth and all jealous powers may you with loud shouts ascend on high swift as an eagle in the upper sky a why so cold and distant to-night farcillo come let us each other greet and forget all the past and give security for the future f security talk to me about giving security for the future what an insulting requisition have you said your prayers to-night madame amelia a farcillo we sometimes forget our duty particularly when we expect to be caressed by others f if you bethink yourself of any crime or of any fault that is yet concealed from the courts of heaven and the thrones of grace i bid you ask and solicit forgiveness for it now a oh be kind farcillo don't treat me so what do you mean by all this f be kind you say you madame have forgot that kindness you owe to me and bestowed it upon another you shall suffer for your conduct when you make your peace with your god i would not slay thy unprotected spirit i call to heaven to be my guard and my watch i would not kill thy soul in which all once seemed just right and perfect but i must be brief woman a what talk you of killing oh farcillo farcillo what is the matter f i i do without doubt mark what i say amelia a then o oh god o oh heaven and angels be propitious and have mercy upon me f amen to that madame with all my heart and with all my soul a farcillo listen to me one moment i hope you will not kill me f kill you i that i will attest it ye fair host of light record it ye dark imps of hell a oh i fear you you are fatal when darkness covers your brow yet i know not why i should fear since i never wronged you in all my life i stand sir guiltless before you f you pretend to say you are guiltless think of thy sins amelia think oh think hidden woman a wherein have i not been true to you that death is unkind cruel and unnatural that kills for living f peace and be still while i unfold to thee 
A. I will, Farcillo, and while I am thus silent, tell me the cause of such cruel coldness in an hour like this. F. That ring, oh, that ring I so loved, and gave thee as a ring of my heart, the allegiance you took to be faithful when it was presented, the kisses and smiles with which you honored it. You became tired of the donor, despised it as a plague, and finally gave it to Malos, the hidden, the vile traitor. A. No, upon my word and honor, I never did. I appeal to the Most High to bear me out in this matter. Send for Malos and ask him. F. Send for Malos, I, Malos you wish to see, I thought so. I knew you could not keep his name concealed. Amelia, sweet Amelia, take heed, take heed of perjury. You are on the stage of death to suffer for your sins. A. What, not to die, I hope, my Farcillo, my ever-beloved? F. Yes, madame, to die a traitor's death. Shortly your spirit shall take its exit. Therefore confess freely of thy sins, for to deny tends only to make me groan under the bitter cup thou hast bade for me. Thou art to die with the name of traitor on thy brow. A. Then, O Lord, have mercy upon me, give me courage, give me grace and fortitude to stand this hour of trial. F. Amen, I say, with all my heart. A. And, O Farcillo, will you have mercy too? I never intentionally offended you in all my life, never loved Malos, never gave him cause to think so, as the high court of justice will acquit me before its tribunal. F. O false perjured woman, thou didst chill my blood, and makest me a demon like thyself. I saw the ring. A. He found it then, or got it clandestinely. Send for him, and let him confess the truth. Let his confession be sifted. F. And you still wish to see him. I tell you, madame, he hath already confessed, and thou knowest the darkness of thy heart. A. What, my deceived Farcillo, that I gave him the ring in which all my affections were concentrated? Oh, surely not. F. Aye, he did. Ask thy conscience, and it will speak with a voice of thunder to thy soul. A. He will not say so. He dare not. He cannot. F. No, he will not say so now, because his mouth, I trust, is hushed in death, and his body stretched to the four winds of heaven, to be torn to pieces by carnivorous birds. A. What, he is dead, and gone to the world of spirits with that declaration in his mouth? Oh, unhappy man! Oh, insupportable hour! F. Yes, and had all his sighs and looks and tears been lives, my great revenge would have slain them all without the least condemnation. A. Alas, he is ushered into eternity without testing the matter for which I am abused and sentenced and condemned to die. F. Cursed infernal woman, weepest thou for him to my face, he that hath robbed me of my peace, my energy, the whole love of my life? Could I tell the fabled Hydra, I would have him live and perish, survive and die, until the sun itself would grow dim with age. I would make him have the thirst of a Tantalus, and roll the wheel of an Ixion, until the stars of heaven should quit their brilliant stations. A. 
Oh, invincible God, save me! Oh, unsupportable moment! Oh, heavy hour! Banish me, Farcillo, send me where no eye can ever see me, where no sound shall ever greet my ear. But, oh, slay me not, Farcillo, bend thy rage and thy spite upon this emaciated frame of mine, only spare my life. F. Your petitions avail nothing, cruel Amelia. A. Oh, Farcillo, perpetrate the dark deed to-morrow. Let me live till then, for my past kindness to you, and it may be some kind angel will show to you that I am not only the object of innocence, but one who never loved another but your noble self. F. Amelia, the decree has gone forth, it is to be done, and that quickly. Thou art to die, madame. A. But half an hour allow me to see my father and my only child, to tell her the treachery and vanity of this world. F. There is no alternative, there is no pause. My daughter shall not see its deceptive mother die. Your father shall not know that his daughter fell disgraced, despised by all but her enchanting malos. A. O Farcillo, put up thy threatening dagger into its scabbard, and let it rest and be still, just while I say one prayer for thee and for my child. F. It is too late, thy doom is fixed, thou hast not confessed to heaven or to me, my child's protector. Thou art to die. Ye powers of death and heaven, protect and defend me in this alone. Stabs her while imploring for mercy. A. O oh, Farcillo, Farcillo, a guiltless death I die. F. Die, die, die. Gracia enters running, falls on her knees weeping, and kisses Amelia. G. O oh, Farcillo, Farcillo, O oh, Farcillo. F. I am here the genius of the age and the avenger of my wrongs. G. O oh, lady, speak once more, sweet Amelia, O oh, speak again. Gone, gone, yes, forever gone. Farcillo, O oh, cold-hearted Farcillo, some evil fiend hath urged you to do this, Farcillo. F. Say not so again, or you shall receive the same fate. I did the glorious deed, madame. Beware, then, how you speak. G. I fear not your implements of war. I will let you know you have not the power to do me harm. If you have a heart of triple brass, it shall be reached and melted, and thy blood shall chill thy veins and grow stiff in thy arteries. Here is the ring of the virtuous and innocent murdered Amelia. I obtained it from Malos, who yet lives, in hopes that he will survive the wound given him, and says he got it clandestinely, declares Amelia to be the princess of truth and virtue, invulnerable to anything like forgetting her first devotion to thee. The world has heard of your conduct and your jealousy, and with one universal voice declares her to be the best of all in piety, that she is the star of this great universe, and a more virtuous woman never lived since the wheels of time began. Oh, had you waited till to-morrow, or until I had returned, some kind window would have been opened to her relief. But alas, she is gone, yes, forever gone, to try the realities of an unknown world. Farcillo leaning over the body of Amelia. F. Malos not dead, and here is my ring. O oh, Amelia, falsely murdered! O oh, bloody deed! O oh, wretch that I am! 
O angels, forgive me! O God, withhold thy vengeance! O Amelia, if heaven would make a thousand worlds like this, set with diamonds, and all of one perfect chrysolite, I would not have done this for them all, I would not have frowned and cursed as I did. Oh, she was heavenly true, nursed in the very lap of bright angels. Cursed slave that I am! Jealousy, oh, thou infernal demon! Lost, lost to every sense of honor! Oh, Amelia, heaven-born Amelia, dead, dead! Oh, oh, oh! Then let me die with thee! Farewell, farewell, ye world that deceived me! Stabs himself. Soon after the excitement of this tragical scene was over, and the enlisted feeling for Amelia had grown more buoyant with Alfonso and Ambulinia, he determined to visit his retired home, and make the necessary improvements to enjoy a better day. Consequently, he conveyed the following lines to Ambulinia. Go tell the world that hope is glowing, go bid the rocks their silence break. Go tell the stars that love is glowing, then bid the hero his lover take. End of section 6. Recording by Tricia G.